Good morning. Welcome to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. And this show covers health and well-being through connection to people. People in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their choices and consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our community and develop programs that find a more sustainable and loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and mental health. Our show today focuses on homelessness. With my special studio guest, Judy Hopwood, Judy has been on the show before. Um, but to give you a little bit of an idea, just in case you haven't listened to it on our website, um, a little bit of the background of Judy's jobs over the last few years. Judy has worked as a nurse, a politician and member for Hornsby, chair of the Homelessness Task Force, a patron of the Hornsby Kuringai Women's Shelter and was named Hornsby Woman of the Year in 2012. Whilst in politics, um, Judy has been on the Legislative Assembly, Shadow Minister for Community Services, Shadow Minister for Mental Health and member on the Committee on Children and Young People, as well as many other commissions and committees related to health. Judy is currently doing a PhD in homelessness, which she's going to talk about at at, uh, great length today, I hope. She's going to speak about homelessness, very specific to our area, whilst keeping it in the context of the larger picture. Welcome back, Judy. Thank you very much, Lucy. It's great to be back. So let's start with some statistics. According to Homelessness Australia, there are 28,000 people who are homeless in New South Wales, which is more than any other state. And on any given night, one in 200 Australians are homeless. Yes. How does that... um, We're obviously becoming more aware of the problem of homelessness in the Hornsby Kuringai area. Can you tell us about the the shires and um, their disadvantage? Yes, uh, but before I do that, I'd just like to mention that um, those figures um, are from the census and we're about to have another census and obviously it's very important to count uh, people very carefully. Um, There would be an underestimation because homeless people are very hard to find often uh, and they may not fill out a form in the way which recognises their homelessness Uh, and I know that the uh, census uh, collectors will be focusing very carefully on special forms for homeless people but also information to make sure people fill out those forms correctly. Yes, so uh, in this um, first world country, we have uh, a large amount of homeless people and um, in our particular shires, uh, we have a problem that um, has been around for decades. Uh, In terms of Hornsby, the the Hornsby local government area uh, has um, had a a large number of homeless people uh, numbering into the hundreds uh, at any given point in time over time. I believe it's less now. And um, we have uh, had the areas, um, for example, uh, caves uh, along the ridge um, of our of our local government area, plus the river um, and bushland area that has uh, served uh, 
homeless people because um, they, those areas are safe and are far safer than the inner city areas if that is where these homeless people have come from. In terms of Karingai, uh, Karingai is known as um, the Upper North Shore and um, largely the view in government and uh, around in the society would be that um, homelessness would not exist in the Upper North Shore. Uh, we have also in Hornsby been tagged with that as well. Um, wrongly considered to be part of the Upper North Shore. But um, in terms of Karingai, Karingai has uh, less services available to homeless and disadvantaged people. They do have the Harbour to Hawkesbury Lifeline office um, and they do have kids uh, that David Sider has, um, Councillor David Sider has had a lot to do with uh, dealing with adolescent disadvantage. Yeah. But um, very uh, recently, one of the councillors uh, uh, made some inquiries into Karingai Council and uh, realised that there was no data there. So mm. uh, she has um, asked a number of questions of her council to highlight the issue that, yes, they do have homeless people in the Karingai Municipal Council. Um, in the Hornsby Shire Council, uh, it, we have had a lot of interaction with our homeless people and uh, there ha there we have have services such as Salvation Army, St Vincent de Paul, we have um, Mission Australia, we have Catholic Care and we have a number of other groups um, and organisations and committees that look at um, the issues associated with homelessness. So for us, we, are, we have been more aware, I believe, as a community um, and with the Hornsby Task Force, which is now the Hornsby Karingai Homelessness Task Force, um, we have advocated and highlighted these issues, talking to local uh, members of parliament, plus councillors and the mayors, and um, hopefully we will continue that work to show that the Upper North Shore is does not escape homelessness, that people who have disadvantage live amongst uh, people who appear to be very wealthy. It's very easy, isn't it, to, to think that in this area it doesn't affect us and actually also the ability to not see what you don't want to see. Correct, uh, yes. I, I think that we under we underestimate the issues that young people go to when they start couch surfing. That's actually homelessness and, and will be counted as homeless in this census. So you know, one of the things that I've noticed we must uh, pay attention to in this census is saying, do you have anyone staying with you on your couch? And we, you know, there's going to be clearly a box taking note of those people who are transient, moving, really not able to stay at home. Yes, uh, that um, estimation of young people, I believe, will still be uh, underestimating yes. the problem because um, the young person may very well be living in a number of different places over the month mm -hmm. or may very well be in a park or, or somewhere undetectable. So these will be very hard to get accurate figures regarding that. But yes, if anybody has... Um, uh, a person who is couch surfing with them or they know of uh, a person who is a couch surfer, it will be very important to make sure that that is registered on August the 9th on census night. Do you think we struggle a little bit with honesty, with not with seeing what we want to see? In, in the same vein as domestic violence, we, we sort of think that there's this air of niceness and it wouldn't happen in, in this lovely area. Do you think we suffer the same lack of honesty when it comes to homelessness? 
perhaps some people may do that, not wanting to recognise that we have the issue and those people may very well be uh, in a position where they could do something about it if they chose to. Mm. But I actually genuinely think that uh, people go about their ordinary everyday life and um, the, these people are hidden. They they yes. are invisible. Yeah. Uh, and in actual fact, they may very well be walking amongst us without having any particular tag that says they're homeless. That That's happened to me in actual fact when I was a local member of parliament and I had uh, my petitions. Uh, about every month I'd be out on the mall with my tables and the petition sheets and a man came up and uh, was reading the petitions, the various issues, and uh, he wanted to sign a few of them and he got to, he put his name down and he got to the address. He said, I don't have an address and I just immediately became aware that this man was homeless and I said, well, put um, Hornsby Mall as your address and he did that, but he then went and looked just like every other shopper in that mall. So I well, think We it's have a, a picture, don't we, yes, of what we, we presume someone who's homeless looks like and we presume also that they don't have a job, which actually also isn't true because no, some people true. maintain a job while sleeping in their car. And some young people actually maintain school attendance as well, yeah. um, being homeless. So, you know, there have been incidences where there's been no parents for whatever reason and there might be the older sibling looking after younger siblings yeah. and they may be uh, in a tent or they, they or may be in a car or they may be somewhere that uh, they're not immediately obvious to uh, people in administrative uh, positions. So, yes, um, we have people that are homeless that don't have that uh, rough sleeper look about them mm. that um, would be a, a pretty obvious uh, giveaway that they were sleeping rough. It's almost easier to help that person or to provide support for that person because you know where you're going, you know where to look, you know perhaps what services they might need. It's for them to come to that service to actually engage with that service, but you at least know that, that they, they might need clothes, they might need bedding, they might need um, a safe space to sleep. Yes, that's that's absolutely correct. And if they don't tend to have the tags attached to them that indicate that um, there is need there, then it will be very hard unless that person or that group of people come forward. Hmm. Okay. Uh, we'll just have a couple of community service announcements and we'll come back and, and keep following on this line. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We are in the studio today talking about homelessness with Judy Hopwood. Welcome back, Judy. Thank you. So let's go through some definitions. Let's just retrace our footsteps. Yes. The uh, definition of homelessness um, isn't just rough sleeping. Uh, many people in the community may think that that is uh, the, the only definition of a homeless person is that person is uh, sleeping rough. Um, we've used a couple of definitions over time for government purposes and for uh, collection of information and also policy uh, creation. Um, we use the Chambers and Mackenzie uh, definition of homelessness that dealt with primary, secondary and tertiary homelessness up until very recently. And uh, this definition saw primary homelessness as actual 
actually sleeping rough, secondary homelessness as moving from one uh, premises to another, and that obviously incorporates couch surfing and other aspects. And tertiary homelessness is uh, living in a standard that would be less than what you would expect to be living in. And that may be you don't have a kitchen, you don't have a bathroom, etc. in whatever dwelling, even though you might have the four walls and a roof, uh, the, the standard is not what it should be. Uh, we've moved on to a, another definition uh, for the purposes of, uh, go- of government and policy creation. And um, this has three categories under its heading as well. Um, the first category is an inadequate dwelling. The second is uh, no or short tenure so that the person who's living in a premises doesn't have a permanency there so that they at any moment could be uh, out in the street or having to find somewhere else. And the third uh, part of that definition is that there's no social opportunity, that the person cannot conduct a life the way that we would expect uh, that would be able to be conducted if they had a house or a home uh, where they were comfortable and had their uh, the standards that would be expected as well as the ability to interact. So that was taken into account. So that's the latest definition of homelessness. I love the broadness of that because what that tells me is when you look at the social determinants of health, so what what we need to look after our health and be healthy beings, um, security in your housing is just as important as housing. Housing. So actually not having a, um, a landlord who can throw you out at the drop of a hat or, you know, the, not the funds, the, not the regular funds that can come with an income to be able to pay for your rent. Um, those are all, those all affect our health. And if your, uh, if your health is affected and therefore you can't work to pay the rent, then I can just see the snowball effect of that. There would be an absolute snowball effect. Uh, you know, it would become an all-consuming uh, situation for you. It would be very hard to hold down a job or to do any other activities um, that uh, would be necessary, uh, attendance at, uh, say, job interviews mm. or uh, a- a- any sort of education that you might be needing to undertake if you haven't got that basis and you're continually worrying. You can understand why uh, people do develop depression and other mental illnesses when they are in these situations. Absolutely. And then that that brings in the trust that you um, to accept help and that you're worth that help. So some self-worth issues come up. Once the mental health comes up, you the self-doubt, the worth, it, it's... Yes, you can you can understand how they might feel worthless and lacking in confidence yes. uh, and a burden on uh, society yeah. and even on, you know, on their family members if they've had to uh, seek financial assistance in relation to, you know, the problems that they've found themselves in. Do you find that when... Um, with the research that you've done that people are so fed up of life and the way it's treated them that they withdraw and in that withdrawing it's hard to help them and to find the housing and to help them accept housing and support yes uh, absolutely i mean the the thing the overriding um at the beginning of my research surprise uh was the diversity of the people who are homeless they are 
they are not a, a one-size-fits-all, they are not a job lot. Uh, they have individual and separate circumstances uh, regarding how they came to be homeless in the first place and uh, where they find themselves um, at any given point in time. And um, there, there's a diversity of reasons and uh, diversity of situations that you just can't... Um, you know, you, you must actually go in and find out from that individual uh, what their needs are, what their circumstances are. And yes, um, I have found that uh, some of the homeless people have withdrawn and, and they are less likely to be seeking uh, assistance that they desperately would need. And that could be any sort of assistance from medical to clothing to uh, transport. Um, so there's such a diversity and each individual person who is homeless is a unique person. So I think that's where government has um, unfortunately let these people down, not probably wanting to do that because of the difficulties associated with dealing with this issue and the difficulties with creating policy to cover the broad depth. But um, if those individuals can't be seen as individuals, uh, they may not be helped by whatever policies are available because that policy just doesn't suit them. Yeah, one size doesn't fit no, all it in does this. Not. And it, and that's what makes it easy for local council, state, federal to just walk away, put it in the too hard yes. basket. I think that um, many councils have found it very difficult to uh, deal with um, the issue of homelessness by virtue of the fact that they, they just don't know where to start because of that diversity uh, in their particular local government areas and um, electorates. What else are you finding that's coming specifically out of your research for this area? Uh, in in my study, I'm I'm looking at um, chronic homelessness uh, of cave dwellers living on the Hawkesbury River, um, but I didn't start out with that as my focus, uh, and um, I, that was what I was referring to when I mentioned surprise because. Um, I suppose being a member of parliament and um, and reading the current policies associated with homelessness and uh, homelessness from the perspective of various portfolios, because it's a cross-portfolio issue, there's lots of different uh, problems. I started out thinking that um, in the electorate of Hornsby or in the local government area, that I would look at a variety of uh, people who are homeless in relation to... Uh, looking at the cave dwellers, but looking at people that sleep in parks, looking at people that uh, live in the the their cars, uh, and uh, even couch surfers and so on. And then I realised that I would be comparing apples with oranges because of the differences. This is what I'm talking about, the diversity. Yeah. The differences cannot be compared because they are individual needs. And so then I had to narrow it down to look at chronic homelessness of people living in caves who actually mostly regarded the cave as a home, if not a house. Yes. So they had a home, but they just didn't have the four walls that would be the conventional uh, way in which people would you know, expect others to live. Um, and I decided to do those people because of the need to focus a lot more on chronic homelessness. Um, the majority of people who become homeless uh, will get themselves out of the homelessness. It, it, you know, they will 
they, they may have very hard times for a period of time, but if they are discovered or if they seek help, uh, then, if, for example, um, in the global financial downturn, if they couldn't pay their mortgage and the bank foreclosed on them um, for the loan, um, those people uh, were able to move through a uh, set of... Um, I suppose, uh, situations that eventually led to them getting out of homelessness. Okay. Um, the, the chronically homeless, I'm talking about and I'm studying, um, have been homeless for decades and, uh, you know, the, there could be the um, desire to say that they've chosen this particular way of life um, and I use that word choice very, very carefully because uh, some people may tell you what they think you want to hear mm -hmm. uh, in relation to speaking to them and, uh, you, you know, in relation to the loss of their confidence and their esteem and the marginalisation that they do feel uh, living adjacent to a community or really right outside a community if they have chosen to live deep inside a, a, um, a local a, a national park. Um, that, you know, those people are... Um, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're complex and um, the, it, it will take a lot of time and it's taken me a lot of time to gain trust, to mm. be able to talk to some of them. The, some don't want to talk to me, uh, but the people that I have been talking to in the context of the cave dwellers on the Hawkesbury River, uh, it has taken a long time. And even now, um, I wonder if I know everything that I need to know yes. about them to actually record uh, my data correctly because of the fact that um, I am coming to them uh, if they recall that I was the local member as a past authority figure um, and also someone who doesn't live the way they are living uh, and I have heard the word choice and choose uh, in the description of uh, the way the way they live, um, that they would not live any other way uh, than live in a cave. And it's hard to imagine in the middle of winter on the Hawkesbury River that you Absolutely. would choose to do that. But um, I don't take it away that some people may choose to do that because uh, for whatever reason in their past, whatever traumatic event that's led to their becoming homelessness, homeless rather, um, that uh, that is where they feel more comfortable, that they don't feel comfortable in society as we generally know it. So in a way, they're not actually asking you to represent them because they don't necessarily want anything to change. And there are, there are some that do want things to change. They do want people to know, and those might be the people that are more open to communicating fully or as fully as they will allow themselves to. Yes, I think that, um, that is absolutely correct and um, the largely the people that I've been talking to down on the Hawkesbury River, um, they didn't seek assistance to change anything about mm. their lives. They had everything in their lives that they felt were the priorities, mm. that they could get food, that they could access transport to go out of the area if they needed to shop, mm -hmm. um, that they could get a mobile phone, uh, a post office box if they needed to. Yep. Some of them are not registered with our social security, but the, I'd say the majority probably are. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, they, 
as I said, some were willing to open up and talk to me and some were not willing to do that. Um, and I didn't have the impression that they were asking me to advocate for them mm. uh, in any way. They had relationships with emergency services and with council and emergency services, and I'll include police in that. The police are, are amazing in relation to their management of homeless people. Yeah. There's a separate protocol that exists that um, is an agreement amongst a number of organisations, including the local government um, uh, organisations on how to approach homeless people and deal with homeless people uh, and that they may be dealt with in a slightly different way if a crisis occurs than perhaps what um, we may be uh, receiving as far as the rules of engagement, if you like, um, in, in the ordinary community. But the people down on the Hawkesbury River are a community with a pecking order, uh, living adjacent to uh, a general community. So that with is a, a pecking order. With a pecking <laughs> order, that's correct. Fascinating. And some of the people in the general community dislike their presence, and some like their presence, and others may probably wouldn't even know that they were there because there's not very much interaction, if you like, between mm. the two communities. Um, I have spoken to people that were unaware um, of the existence in their immediate vicinity, people walking by, walking along past the marina down at um, Brooklyn, for example, mm. and they had no idea that in their community they had homeless people living and, and uh, operating, if you like. Yes. And yet we're very fortunate to have some very engaged services within our community that, that support them. So you mentioned a lot of them before and, and the DISH and a lot of people that go out into the community and provide services. We might uh, go to a piece of music now and come back and maybe sure. talk about those services yes. in our community. You are indeed listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Welcome back. We are talking homelessness today with my guest in the studio, Judy Hopwood. Um, Judy, before we went to the news, we were talking about your research and um, the cave dwellers that you've been primarily doing your research on. Would you be able to tell us what services are available, um, maybe around the Brooklyn area, but also around the Hornsby area? Yes, uh by coincidence, um, I was a Sydney Home Nursing Service um, community nurse for about eight years. And at that time, that would have been in the late 80s into the early 90s, uh, uh, there wasn't a uh, GP service. There, there, you know, there weren't any services really uh, to provide for the Brooklyn community, actually in Brooklyn. Uh, and um, at the time of my uh, work with the Sydney Home Nursing Service, I recall a research project going on to look at why it was that Brooklyn people waited until they were in a crisis uh, situation with health before they actually came out of their community and sought help, say, for example, from Hornsby Hospital or, or anything that might be available health-wise in Hornsby. Uh, and from that research, uh, there was created the uh, Community Health Centre down there and the GP uh, division that goes in there, the GP um, 
uh, medical centre that's been set up and linked in with Hornsby. Uh, and that provides an invaluable service, not only to the general community, but also to the homeless community down there. And all of the homeless people uh, would be known to the staff, the doctors and nurses and um, ancillary staff of that uh, centre and have had over the time that that um, GP unit's been running a lot of interaction. And there's also been the ability with a facility that um, is... Um, um, uh, a lovely building on council land um, with uh, uh, the ability to have social interaction plus hold courses. Uh, I know that there's an Alcoholics Anonymous that runs from there and there's been um, various services uh, from time to time um, changing slightly but um, being offered uh, from that uh, building to the local community. So that's been a very valuable uh, means by which to uh, address needs in the general community but also in the homeless community and um, the 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 staff have been absolutely amazing in relation to meeting the needs of not only the general community but the homeless community and the idiosyncrasies that might arise in relation to homelessness uh, uh, in terms of you know some of the the people that live in the area, um, whereby the uh, the nurses, for example, have um, gone above and beyond, um, have uh, opened the clinic early to provide breakfasts and do dressings for um, people in the homeless community who might might require it yeah. um, and um, have uh, enabled um, the homeless community if they needed to have access to services that would not have otherwise been available and that has included podiatry and uh, mental health services. So that... Um, facility is uh, it, it does a, a wonderful job um, and it's been involved um, I know that uh, the daughter of the nurse manager when Beth and Westy were married in 2013 uh, she cooked the cake so a three-tiered cake was provided it, it, it has really become like a big family down there and um, the homeless uh, are well served by having that GP community uh, centre and medical service that actually goes above and beyond to meet their needs. So the book and community is very lucky to have that service. Um, but in the wider community, as I've already mentioned, you know, we've had long-standing uh, um, Salvation Army uh, outreach, uh, St Vincent de Paul, uh, as I said, uh, Catholic Care, uh, Mission Australia. Also, um, as you have mentioned, the DISH. Now, the DISH is uh, an entity that sits under the St John Uniting Church in Warunga. It is its own separate entity, but it is supported um, uh, by the church and auspiced by the church. Uh, and that uh, started off as a Friday evening a provision of meals from a van uh, at um, Hornsby Pool. And it used to be in um, the... Uh, earlier days before we had our new aquatic centre uh, in the, a park that was uh, down a road beside TAFE um, at the end of that road, uh, wedged, I suppose, between TAFE and the, the aquatic centre. Now it um, is more up towards the road in a, uh, a seated area that uh, the van uh, can access. And that uh, goes on to this day, every Friday evening, without fail, doesn't matter what uh, day of the year, including Christmas Day, it still will be provided. Mm. Uh, but that has also been taken on and under the wing of uh, social justice groups in many of the schools around the area. So it is provided, the dish will go out under the auspice of um, uh, private schools and Catholic schools predominantly uh, to... Um, 
uh, to provide food for homeless people on other nights of the week. So that's about three times a week that that van goes out. So, And the van will also go to uh, hubs uh, that may be special days that um, police uh, interagency groups will organise to uh, invite homeless people for a breakfast or uh, for a morning tea or lunch to uh, target a certain need. It might be that um, housing will be in attendance to give opportunities for housing um, to homeless people. Um, So the DISH has been really an amazing asset for for us in our our area. Um, The Hornsby Homelessness Task Force or the Hornsby Karingo Homelessness Task Force is largely an advocacy group that consists of uh, organisations, individuals, church groups, uh, any interested person, if you like, and has been... um, it started in 2006 as a result of some crises that happened in uh, Hornsby Park, but it has been meeting on a bi-monthly regular... uh, meeting day, if you like, uh, since 2006 and hasn't really missed a beat and has really gone from strength to strength and it uh, does its um, best to advocate for the needs of homeless people in the area. It consists of the groups that I've just named and uh, so that representatives from Salvation Army, St Vincent de Paul, Catholic Care, Mission Australia, uh, Housing uh, and many other group council, Hornsby Shire Council has um, sent representation to that um, that uh, task force since the beginning. So that has been a very valuable service uh, and uh, many of the people who attend those meetings have direct uh, contact with homeless people in our general area and have facilitated moving people from homelessness into apartments and uh, many other uh, assistances to those people over time. It seems to me that because there is such a focus and a, a, a care of the homeless people by groups that are consistent and committed in what they're doing, it builds a level of trust that it, that they're not the people who are on the receiving end of those services don't feel like they're a problem, and uh, you build relationships with people, and it's those relationships that mean that they're trusting to say, actually, you know, I might be okay in an apartment, or I might be okay in this housing, I might give it a go, if they know that that the people who are putting it forward actually have their best interests at heart, and they're not just trying to you know take them off their books. Yes, no, uh, it's been an extremely important um, creation of a group that enabled interaction amongst the individual groups Mm. in the community because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there have been hundreds of people. You know, when I created the Hornsby Homelessness Task Force back in 2006, the Salvation Army in St Vincent de Paul had hundreds of um, open files. Now, they may very well in a lot of instances been one and the same people. But when you think about it, hundreds Mm -hmm. of open files that they were dealing with. Um, So because they're so busy with the need and that, you know, they, they... uh, off, will often say that, um, you know, they they don't have enough finances, uh, you know, to actually do everything they would love to do uh, to be able to employ enough people to actually meet the needs. Um, it's been very good to have a, 
place to go to share that information mm. so that you don't feel that you are an island out there and then you do know what other organisations are doing. So it's been helpful from a coordination perspective uh, yes. that we have been meeting on this bi-monthly level um, and um, have shared information. And then there's obviously been outreach into other uh, areas such as domestic violence and mental health and other housing groups and the Medicare locals when they um, were created. I know they're in a different entity yes. right now. They don't exist. But uh, we were sought out by the Medicare local team uh, for them to come along and see what we did. Uh, and, uh, you know, we worked in harmony. So the Medicare local sent a representative to our meetings as well uh, in those days when the Medicare local existed. So it's been a wonderful way to eff more effectively, if you like, uh, work together to provide need for disadvantage in our area. And I suppose, you know, we've broadened our... Uh, our uh, I suppose our outreach uh, to the perspective of when we met with the local government, local members of parliament uh, not that long ago uh, and uh, we had a delegation that went to meet with Matt Keane and then one to meet with the member for Kuringai, Alastair Henskins, that we found out about other things that uh, we were not aware of. For example, um, there's... Uh, the St John's Church uh, in Gordon and uh, uh, I wasn't aware until I was told by Alastair Henskins that the minister there was uh, finding it very frustrating that he couldn't help homeless people as much as he wished to or disadvantaged people, right. that he felt that uh, housing was uh, a major issue of need and maybe we could talk more about the need yes. for social housing. Um, that um, And this, you know, puts uh, paid to the Upper North Shore, uh, I suppose, appearance of the Karingai Council area where homeless people would be getting off the train at Gordon and walking up to the St John's Church and asking for help. And this minister and his team were providing as much help as they possibly could, providing food, providing clothing and other services. But the main frustration from this minister was that there wasn't what these people really wanted and that was enough housing. So yes. that would be his dream to actually set up some sort of accommodation uh, in the Gordon area. And that is in the heart of what we perceive to be the Upper North Shore. So, yeah. you know, the, this need and this group uh, has really facilitated uh, interaction amongst each other, knowledge from each other, and therefore better services, I believe, for the homeless in our area. I think that's a fantastic transition to our next subject, which will be social housing and the future. But we'll um, first of all go to a community service announcement and then we're going to hear again from the Choir of Hard Knocks with, with a song called Beautiful. Welcome back. We are talking homelessness um, and we're going to head straight in uh, with Judy Hopwood to talk about where we go from here. We've talked about how actually organized Hornsby have been, how they've been pioneers really in how to address, how to support on a very broad outreach level, how to support homeless people within the community, how to uh, see them as people, not as problems. Where there is also the awareness that Kuringai haven't had to look at that on the same level but they are having to look at it now. It's coming to the attention of 
the ministers within the within the Kuringai area that actually the uh, horns uh, Gordon is a hub it's a stop and it's where people are starting to come for help we've got a lot of buildings going up how many of them can accommodate people who actually need housing big question isn't it judy yes it is a big question um and sadly uh the homeless people couldn't afford uh to rent the the accommodations that have been constructed uh in in Karingai. um and that then brings us, I suppose, to the point of social housing and the need for an increase in the stock uh, to provide for people that are willing to make that transition from homelessness uh, into housing. And I just might reflect back on our previous discussions in terms of uh, the services that are provided. It isn't enough just to put a person into a dwelling there must be wraparound services there must be ongoing support for the person going into uh, a dwelling this person may not have ever or a very very long time ago paid a bill or managed to um, uh, pay rent on a regular basis or uh, to survive uh, in in isolation sometimes because these people will be placed by themselves usually uh, into a dwelling that might be very hard for that person to accommodate if they're used to being in a community, for example, if they were living in the community down in Brooklyn. We underestimate life skills, don't we? Because for a lot of us, it's just what we do normally. Yes. But actually, you know, changing your sheets, um, as you say, paying a bill, knowing that um, you need to let people know of your address and uh, those very simple things that we take for granted. We have to have those wraparound services to support people when they go in and not presume that they're going to be okay sleeping in a bed for the first time. That's right. You know, we might have to lay something out on the floor, just make it their space, not our space and our picture. Well, these people uh, usually don't have anything except perhaps their own clothing and that's all. Yeah. So, you know, a great deal of work and effort goes in not only to providing that dwelling, but also to providing the necessities um, that we all do take for granted yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, a table and chairs or crockery or, or yeah. whatever it happens to be. Um, so... It does work better. Housing First is a particular policy and housing is extremely important, but those wraparound services are equally important. I mean, the 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 stock in the Hornsby area that would be available is limited and in placing people who are wanting to go into some sort of accommodation, usually a unit, uh, they often have to go outside the area. So that is another thing too. Then you're breaking the um, networks that um, the person will have um, put together mm-hmm. over often many years yeah. um, and they may have to re-establish themselves. That would be really hard for anybody in a general community to move to by themselves, for example, if they didn't have any other significant people in their lives. That would be hard enough for a person in the general community that was used to living in a traditional dwelling, but extremely hard for somebody that wasn't used to doing that, um, being plucked out of uh, a homeless community and put into a suburb that was a long way from anywhere. And I do know that um, there have been some people who have been housed uh, from Brooklyn uh, and they have not been housed. They, they, they may have chosen 
for various reasons to live outside the Hornsby area, and that may be so they can be close to another family member, but those people will then want to go back into Brooklyn to yeah. attend the GP clinic, for example, yes. because they have that good relationship and uh, they're known down in that area, all their records are there, and their specific individual unique needs can be met, as opposed to trying to break into another medical unit, uh, very difficult often. It all comes back to relationships again, does it? Absolutely, Judy? it does, yes. Now, you are uh, very well placed to talk about this because you helped set up the Hornsby Kuringai Women's Shelter. And it would be a good segue maybe to talk about how that worked, that model, and of course, maybe some fundraising that I know they've got coming up. Yes, uh, the the Hornsby Kuringai Women's Shelter is such a wonderful creation in our area and I, I look at it with, in awe, in actual fact, because of the way in which the community embraced the, the concept and the need to raise enough funds to make it happen. Um, the way it actually originally started was uh, I was approached by Annabelle Daniel, who's the CEO of uh, Women's Community Shelters, uh, uh, with um, the, her knowledge. Uh, she'd done research and our area uh, was a high needs area. Um, she'd been looking at various areas um, to set up um, a women's shelter. And this was actually predicated and modelled on the fact that before women's community shelters existed, the horn, the the Manly area had uh, set a, a women's shelter up um, on the North Head uh, precinct, and that had been such a great success that um, women uh, women's um, community shelters had been created, and then the. Uh, needs in other areas were assessed and Hornsby was uh, almost on the top of the pile wow. in relation to needs that one in two women were turned away if they needed help regarding right. uh, fleeing domestic violence, for example. So that's really how it started. And it started with some preliminary meetings um, where Annabelle and uh, board members came up to address the women's shelter. And uh, and, and then a steering committee was created and I was on that steering committee uh, and many people contributed to the creation of the, the women's shelter. Uh, and uh, now the women's shelter has been uh, established for over one year and is running extremely successfully. Uh, the steering committee being created into a board, um, the employment of a manager and staff uh, and the uh, people who looked after volunteer aspects of um, the operation uh, and uh, it has been um, filled to capacity uh, and is offering a wonderful service uh, on many levels to the women who are lucky enough, if you like, to be accepted into that, that shelter because there is a criteria yeah. um, involved, but it still hasn't met 100% of the need and uh, other shelters have been set up, one in Castle Hill more recently and others. And I know Annabelle has planned more shelters uh, to address the the ongoing need, sadly, of women who are fleeing domestic violence or potential homelessness, because that is the, the largest uh, reason why women are 
homeless is uh, due largely to domestic violence and needing to leave a home. Um, so this uh, women's shelter that we have, of which now I am the patron, uh, or I, one of the one of the patrons, um, has gone from success to success. It's extremely well yeah. run. It's it's had its obstacles as all new organisations yep. do, but it's um, it's uh, a wonderful asset that we have in our community. Now I know that uh, most people will will gladly put up their hand, hand to volunteer, but very often they want to ha- volunteer hands-on in the shelter. Now, that's not appropriate, that they need specific care and specific safe space and, and yes. uh, um, you know, the, the workers that work with them are very uh, tra- are trained in the area yes. that they're working. But Joe Blogs, like myself, we can help in a different way. We can um, volunteer on their coffee crew or we can, you know, donate... Uh, each week but also they've got a city to surf haven't they so there's a physical bit that we might be able to help with yes um it it's an extraordinarily expensive uh facility to maintain uh and it um it, it, the cost is uh, well over four hundred thousand dollars a year to keep it open, running with the lease. Obviously, because we don't own a property uh, to pay uh, for all that's needed for the women plus staff, etc. Um, so, therefore, fundraising is an essential part of, of that. And uh, the the upcoming city to surf um, has uh, a, a component in it that. Um, Runners who wish to participate, or walkers, whatever, um, they can actually uh, fundraise for the uh, women's shelter uh, by being part of the Hornsby Karingai Women's Shelter team. So, um, if uh, anybody out there is interested, um, there is a a, uh, a web address that you can go to uh, to uh, find out all about uh, your participation. That would help the women's shelter, and this is double www.hkws.com.au slash C letter 2 S. So I'll repeat that. www.hkws.com.au slash forward slash C to S, so that city to surf, and uh, then all the information that you require will be there. Um, there is a gold uh, charity level, and some spots are still available, and they will be available until the 25th of July at 5 p.m. So I strongly encourage uh, anybody who uh, wants to go in the city to surf to run that distance for a very worthwhile uh, facility in this local area, and that is the Hornsby Karingai Women's Shelter. Fantastic. Now we'll come back just after a couple of uh, sponsors' announcements because it's Homelessness Week 2016 from the 1st to the 7th of August and there are quite a few events going on. So in a moment, um, we'll come back and we'll talk about those, Judy. Thank you. Yes, indeed, you are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We've got the rugby coming up very shortly, but we're just going to very quickly tell you a little bit about um, what's coming up uh, this homeless week, which falls between the 1st and the 7th of October. Now, we've got a few things going on in our area. and um, On the 12th of August, I'm going to be sleeping in my car 
Um, I've signed up for sleepinyourcar.com.au, which is part of the Raising Funds for Fusion Community Centre. So I would uh, love some company to do that. Or if you don't really fancy sleeping out, please make sure you sponsor me which will be really good. My, I'm under Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. It's going to be in fire in the Jersey Street car park, uh, the Tafe car park. So get yourself down there. We're going to do some, going to be doing some interviews and hopefully that will make a show after that. Towards the end of August, we've obviously got Chatswood Sleeps Rough. So um, that is actually in a garage um, and you have to pay $100 to register for that one, but they're looking for sponsors as well. The, the money raised goes between street work and the Salvation Army, so that's on the 26th of August. Um, one of the things that happened recently in the city was they held... Um, a Sydney Homeless Connect Day. It was on the 7th of July. It happens a couple of times a year. And I was a bit disappointed I couldn't go. I was away for this one and couldn't go along and, and see what was going. But our very own Fusion is working with the council to have a local day. Judy, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, um, Fusion uh, is uh, very focused, um, particularly on adolescent um, issues. But... Um, uh, in Homeless Persons Week, they're having an event that they're calling Helping the Homeless in Hornsby. So they're having a Triple H day, by coincidence, um, where they are asking homeless people to uh, come along uh, and uh, get some gear, have a haircut, get some washing done. And Orange Sky Laundry uh, are going to be providing the washing services. So that's fantastic. It's a great coup, isn't it? Really, fantastic. to have them there. Yes, indeed, because the the uh, creators of Orange Sky Laundry, our, our young um, young Australians of the year, um, having um, have been awarded that um, that uh, honour, um, and also the dish, um, because this is on Friday, the fifth of August, between two and six pm, um, after the Jersey Street activities that I've just listed, the laundry and uh, haircuts and other services, uh, the dish uh, will be setting up uh, in its usual place. Um, near the pool next to the TAFE car park um, or next to the TAFE uh, in Hornsby, uh, their usual Friday night meal. So that that will be a a very good event uh, to know about in uh, Homeless Persons Week. And seeing as they've called it Triple H, Triple H will be there in one capacity or another. (laughs) I will be interviewing. I will make sure we have it marked and and we'll give out some, uh, some, some things on the day. Now, let's get right to it. We've got five minutes left. Let's talk about what we really need. How do we get this social housing happening? Yes, uh, wherever I go, and uh, that includes um, other states, uh, the need for housing is—it se- it seems to me to be the paramount um, requirement. There isn't enough housing to accommodate uh, not only the waiting lists for public housing and priority housing, but uh, for the the people of huge disadvantage who are homeless uh, as well. So uh, that is uh, something that is uh, raised at. Um, all of the homeless uh, uh, conferences and uh, other gatherings uh, and it seems to be a national uh, address uh, issue that we need to address. Um, Some councils um, in 
the Sydney area, uh, they do uh, require developments uh, to have a couple of uh, units available for social housing. Um, but it, uh, unfortunately, Hornsby uh, does not um, do that right now. Uh, it isn't a mandatory requirement for councils um, who are negotiating with developers to require them to uh, provide uh, some sort of community housing within a new development. But it is my firm belief that uh, that would go some way to provide provide essential housing. It would keep uh, people who live in our shire, uh, in our shire, uh, with the provision of more housing stock available to them in the Shire so that they would not have to go outside uh, the area and thus break their uh, their networks. Um, and uh, it, uh, it seems that um, it could be a win-win for all concerned in relation to that provision. So I would really like to see that um, all councils uh, were required to provide uh, that service uh, to the disadvantaged in our community, that uh, new developments uh, would provide some some units, some uh, form of uh, social housing increase uh, to be used by people of disadvantage. Fabulous. Thank you so much. I, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. I really do hope that, I, I don't think that we can avoid it. I think we have to look at it. I think we have to, to We've, we've shown that we're an engaged community. We've shown what we can do with the Hornsby Kuringai Women's Shelter. And if we get behind this, then our representatives in Parliament will represent us in council and in Parliament. We, it's the, the people that have to say what's important to them for them to pay attention to us. Well, yes, that um, it is so important because one of the biggest problems and challenges facing the Hornsby Kuringai Women's Shelter is the lack of uh, places for the women to graduate out of, if you like, the time mm. that they've spent uh, with uh, the service provision that is given to them whilst they are in the women's shelter. Uh, it, the, the challenges have been where do they go after that that they can actually afford uh, and, and that has been the biggest challenge. That is what the board faces as a, a problem um, mm. and uh, really much more needs to be done to address this. So, it, you know, it, 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 from so many different perspectives, it's absolutely essential that more community housing is made available, that uh, people coming out of shelters and people who want to uh, escape homelessness, that they can actually seek and afford. And knowing that prevention is a lot more cost effective than actually dealing with the consequences, that's where we have to put... And, and that housing is such a key part of that yes. health determinant. Well, you know, our tenet is supposed to be that we don't discharge people from hospital back into homelessness and that we don't uh, allow people to go from a facility out into homelessness. Well, that is supposed to be yeah. um, uh, avoided at all costs uh, for obvious reasons. And it is much more expensive, as you've said, to uh, deal with uh, people living rough than actually addressing their needs and providing their needs. I mean, there's a, a New York Times a story called Million Dollar Murray, or I think it's yep. something like that, um, that uh, assesses the uh, the cost of uh, this elderly gentleman who lives on the streets uh, of New York as opposed to what it would cost if uh, his um, needs were met and he was housed. Right. So it is very expensive to leave people out on the street uh, and uh, much more cost-effective yeah. uh, to help them health-wise and uh, housing-wise. Okay. 
Thank you so much. Thank Judy. you. It's been brilliant. Uh, once again, I feel like I have a, I've learned so much every time, every time we have you on. So thank you. Thank you. I look forward to hearing more about your research when it's complete and working alongside you as you raise awareness through the coming years. Very happy to do that. Thank you for listening. to uh, The podcast will be available through Stay and Loop website by tomorrow and on SoundCloud. And if you want to get updates, then remember to like the Facebook page and sign up for updates on any of those forums. Um, links to all of those spaces are also available on the Stay in the Loop with Lucy Triple H program page. Now, my quote for the day comes from Edward Everett Hale. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I can do something, I will not refuse to do that something that I can do. What I can do, I should do. And what I should do, by the grace of God, I will do. My next show is about reporting of violence in the media and how it affects children and their mental health. So till then, remember to take a moment to look after you, connect with the amazing people in our community, be kind, be caring, be loved, be you, and you've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.